John chapter 15 this morning. We'll begin looking in John chapter 15 in verse 16 and read all the way down to verse 27. Again, we've looked at this text before, but I want to keep it in the context and then add where we left off last Lord's Day. John 15 verse 16 says, You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. These things I command you, that you love one another. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you were not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin, but now they have no cloak for their sin. He that hateth me hateth my father also. If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not had sin. But now have they both seen and hated both me and my father. This cometh to pass that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from my Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. And ye also shall bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. Let's take a few minutes and do some review. First, throughout our Lord's ministry on the earth, he has taught his disciples that his kingdom is not of this world. He has taught his disciples that the world, both Jews and Gentiles, would kill him over his message and over his ministry. In addition, his disciples have seen with their own eyes that what he had taught them is true. It is in this atmosphere as they are traveling from Bethany to Jerusalem, knowing that Calvary is right before him, it is in this atmosphere that our Lord takes up his instructions from chapter 13 through 16. It is in that atmosphere that he instructs his disciples in their responsibility to carry on the very same ministry and the very same message that he had been carrying on on the earth. He had taught them and he had practiced that message and then in the middle of that teaching and in the middle of his demonstration of who he is as God the Jews and the Gentiles had hated him. We have seen that our Lord chose to ordain his disciples to carry his message and his ministry into the world. Verse 16 
this choice and calling is also true of all God called men down through the ages and in some sense of every child of God down through the ages. We carry on the ministry and the message of our Lord Jesus Christ and also of the apostles in our Baptist churches today. We have also seen that our Lord has on many occasions commanded his disciples to love one another. After having chosen them and after ordaining them to their work and calling them and confirming that they would be fruitful, he tells them one more time in John 15 verse 17 that they should love one another. As I said last Lord Day, John 15, 17 is connected to the previous verse. You, I have called you, I have ordained, I have sent you to bring forth fruit. But it's also connected to the next verse where he says, if the world hates you. This is one of the hardest truths, as I said last Lord's Day, for true Christians to adopt as part of their Christian life. We learn the scriptures, we learn doctrine, and as we grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, we begin to put into practice what God has said in his word. It is hard for a child of God to put into practice the awareness that they live in a world that hates them. That does not come easy for us. And yet it is absolutely critical if we are to carry out the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ in the way he did. Our Lord has already spoken, had already spoken this truth to his disciples in the early part of his ministry. Now he repeats it again. The disciples had already seen this truth with their own eyes. It had already been revealed to them during the years that they followed the Lord Jesus Christ on the earth. Now they learn from the Lord himself that he was going to send them into the world with the exact same message that he has been preaching and with the exact same ministry that he has established on the earth during his earthly journey. And that they would face the same things. Verses 20 and 21, he says to them, we left off in verse 19 last Lord's Day, Pick up this morning in verse 20. Remember the word that I said unto you. The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake. Because they know not him that sent me. Remember, he says. Remember, in the Greek, it's present tense active. What we are instructed here by our Lord to do is remember and keep on remembering and never forget this truth. That the servant is not above his master. Remember and keep on remember and never forget that the servant is not above his master. Many times in the word of God... Our God reminds his children of the things they need to keep in their minds and in their hearts. Most of the time in reminding them, 
he is reminding them of the promises that he has made to them. Don't forget, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Don't forget, I will be with you to the end. Don't forget, no weapon formed against thee shall prosper. Don't forget. Remember these things. All the promises that I've made to you. All the things that I've said that have come true and will come true in your life. But in this case, he's not remembering, he's not reminding them of the great promises that he has bestowed upon them. But he reminds them that he has taught them that true Christianity that involves a union with the Lord Jesus Christ will most certainly, without any doubt, include persecution. Our Lord never lies to those who seek to follow him. He tells those who are sinners who repent and believe on him that his followers will suffer if they begin to follow him. He tells you the truth. And sinners, you that are sitting here outside of Christ this morning, you need to know the truth. If you embrace, embrace Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you take up and begin following him, those who say they are your friends will fall away. Within a very short time, of all those that said they were my friends after I became a Christian were no longer wanting to associate with me. I wanted to be associated with them. I wanted to share the gospel with them. I wanted to talk about the things of God with them. But they did not want to hear anything that I had to say about that. And they started one by one falling away. It's okay. Because I had a friend of sinners on my side. Over the years I've seen it. Even among those who say they're Christians. Our Lord's teaching always included the truth. That what he had been doing during his earthly ministry, we were to carry on and do what he had done. If we focus on what Christ was doing on the, during his early ministry, all the religious things going on in the world are going to fall away. If we get focused on what Jesus Christ did, if we are followers of Christ and his teaching, what did he do? How did he handle the ministry? And we focus like a laser beam on that. And then pretty soon we're going to get to understand that the religions of this world are not going to like us. The world is not going to like us. We are reminded of this truth today. We ought not to be deceived about true Christianity. It is not as it is often portrayed by modern day false prophets, it is not a dreamed filled life full of wealth and health and physical blessings. It is not. He says, I have chosen you, I have ordained you, I have sent you into the world. You will bring forth fruit as you go. But you are my representative and you represent my ministry and you represent my ministry. And if you do that, the world is going to hate you. And they've already seen it. And they're going to see it in a few more hours as Jew and Gentiles join together to crucify the Lord Jesus Christ at Calvary. He reminds them Christianity 
which if lived according to the word of God, will be constantly tested by persecution. But it is also a life that will be filled with fruit. Others will see our life and listen to our message. Some will hate it, but others will come to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. They will come out of the world and follow Christ, and the world will hate them too. Knowing that the world would hate them, they still come and follow the Lord Jesus Christ because He is worthy. He says, remember, remember what? That the servant is not greater than his Lord. This had already been stated in John chapter 13, verse 16, where he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither is he that is sent greater than he that has sent him. Our Lord reminds them again of this very important truth. We who are true followers of the Lord Jesus Christ will suffer the same things from the world which we live in which we live as he did in the world when he lived there. And that's owed to our union with him. We are joined together in him. And being joined together with him and being his representative on the earth, we have the same relationship with the world as he had. Brethren, we will receive no greater respect than he did. We will receive no greater reception in the world, society, than he did. We will receive no greater honor in the world than he received. And we will receive no greater recognition by the world than he received. We must remember the words of the Apostle Paul in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 36 through 38. Where he says, and others. That one word, others, encompassing all that are true Christians and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews eleven thirty-six. Others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonments. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, they were tempted, they were slain with a sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. Verse 38, of whom the world was not worthy. God has put us in a world that is not worthy of Christianity. God has put us in a world with a message that they are not worthy to, to hear. And yet, God has said, go to them anyway. We live in a world that is not worthy of us. We go to a people that has, view us with no value and no worth. The world is not worthy of Christians, and yet God leaves them here, and not only leaves them here, but sends them to the very world of which they are not worthy to declare that God has sent His Son into the world to save sinners from their sins, to declare that those who come and follow Christ repent of their sins and believe on Him, they are will and shall suffer some measure of persecution, but to declare also that heaven is theirs. In the end, when it is all over, 
And God separates you from the world. And the sheep are on his right hand and the goats on his left. In that day, you will understand. In that day, you will see that it is all worth it. Remember, the servant is not greater than his master. Verse 21. But all these things they will do unto you. Why? For my name's sake. Because they know not him that sent me. Our sufferings are related to two things. The first is the world hates us for his name's sake. Our sufferings come to us and will be like the same sufferings that our Lord had because we bear his name. They come upon us because of all that is involved in the person and work of Christ. When we hold forth the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ before the world, before mankind, they hear our message, they look at our lives, and they say they do not want to have anything to do with that. They hate us for that. The Lord's name is our testimony. What are you? I am a Christian. Now I know that word has been watered down so that it means nothing today. And many claim to be Christians who are not Christians. And I know that that name has been polluted by the religious world today. But in the first century, and even today if it's properly understood, that name means something. We are followers of the living God of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that name is our testimony. It is our confession of faith. It is our confession of salvation. That name is our religion. What we say about our relationship with, a, with our God is always and altogether focused on one individual, the Lord Jesus Christ. What are you? Well, I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. That makes me a follower of His teachings. And I want to be focused like a laser on what He has said. Not what men say, but what He says. David, in the Old Testament, in Psalm 69, verse 7, says these words, Because for thy sake... I have borne reproach. Psalm 69, 7. Jeremiah the prophet, many, many years later, in Jeremiah 15, verse 15, says, O Lord, thou knowest, remember me and visit me. Know that for thy sake I have suffered rebuke. Our Lord in his earthly ministry, early in his earthly ministry, speaking of true Christianity, says in Matthew 5, verse 11 and 12, these words, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice, be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. 
Look from Abel. Look from the book of Genesis to the book of the Revelation. Look back into the New Testament, going into the Old Testament. Examine the followers of Christ and see if it is not true that for His sake they were persecuted. The second reason is that the world hates, the reason that the world hates us because they do not know our God. That's what he says in verse 21. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake because they know not him that sent me. This has already been stated on a number of occasions in John chapter 1 verse 10. Our Lord said, or the scripture says, he was in the world and the world was made by him. And the world knew him not. In John chapter 8, our Lord says, Jesus answered and said, You neither know me nor my Father. John 8 and verse 19. If you had known me, you should have known my Father also. And in the next chapter, chapter 16, in verse 3, our Lord will repeat this same truth when he says, You neither know me nor my Father. No, I'm sorry, wrong verse. John 16, 3. And these things will they do unto you because they have not known the Father nor me. John 16, verse 3. On the other hand, the Scripture said that true, Christian and true Christians and true Christianity is bound up in knowing God. John writes in his first epistle, 1 John 5, in verse 20, And we know that the Son of God is come. And hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true. And we are in him that is true. Even in his son, Jesus Christ, this is the true God and eternal life. We know these things. John 5, 1 John 5, 20. God has shown us to us. God has given us the understanding of that. This is the great problem. The world thinks it knows God. Everybody thinks they know God. But it doesn't. They don't. They have the idea about God, their ideas about God, and those ideas are not found in God's Word. You know, I've often challenged men who I think were genuine Christians who had ideas about God's Word, and I said, look, stop quoting men to me and search the Scriptures to see whether these things be true or not. Within the last week or so, a man that my wife and I know, who we didn't know very well, but we knew through another family, who I told him that many years ago. I said to him, stop telling me what so-and-so said and quote the scriptures to me. Book, chapter, and verse. And he couldn't. I said, look. You go do this for me. You go home, you search the scripture and see if whether these things be true or not. Five or six years would pass. I never heard from him. I went off to India back and forth. I came back and I was performing a wedding and, and, and there he was. And he sees me and I see him and he comes like a beeline. He's focused to me. <laughs> and I thought, Lord, I, I, in, in three minutes and five minutes, I've got to stand before this congregation and perform a wedding service. I don't want to argue over that doctrine. <laughs> and he sticks out his hand and says, Brother Pat, I need to thank you. 
I haven't seen him in five or six years. I said, thank me for what? He said, remember the last time we were together? And I said, yes, I do. He said, you said, go home and study the scriptures and see if these things will be true. I did that. And you were right. And I want to thank you for pointing me to the Word of God and to all the books instead of the books that I were reading. Men have their ideas. They got their ideas about God. They have their ideas about Christianity. There are thousands of them out there. But when we speak the truth from the Scriptures, it is then that the rub comes. We offend them because they have their religious ideas. And uh, just as the Jews persecuted the Lord Jesus Christ, and so they begin to persecute us. You do remember, don't you? You do know, don't you, that when Jesus Christ came to this earth, he came to correct the misunderstanding that the Jews had in their religion. And to set forth before them the truth of the Word of God. This is true, true throughout history, brethren. First the Jews, and then as the gospel spread, the pagans and different religions. Then Catholics and Protestants, all persecuted true Christians. And it continues to this day. In India, the Hindus and the Muslim are persecuting Christians. In China, the communists are persecuting Christians. In Russia, true Christians are being persecuted by the state church. In Europe, the state church persecutes true Christians. In South Mexico, Catholics still persecute true Christians. All over the world, no matter where you go, if you represent the Lord Jesus Christ according to the truth of His Word, the religious establishment will seek to persecute you. It is true. It continues to this day. It will continue until the Lord comes back and every one of His enemies are put under His footstool and He brings an end to the whole thing. That brings us to the next verse where Jesus Christ says to them, if I had not spoken unto them, they had not had sin. But now they have no cloak for their sin. He that hateth me hateth my father also. If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not had sin. But now have they both seen and hated both me and my father. But this cometh to pass that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. Now our Lord adds another layer of reasons as to why the world hates him. And as to why the world will hate those who are his followers. Their hatred is not only found in the fact that he reveals who God is, but is also found in the fact that he reveals their sin to them. If I had not come and spoken unto them, spoken unto them, they had not known sin. And in my words, they now have no cloak for their sins. And in my works, they have no way to hide their sin. Our Lord revealed their sin to them. And He did this with His Word, verse 22, and He did this with His works, 
verse 24, this truth has already been revealed in the scriptures and he continues to do the same thing today. In John chapter 3, in verse 19 and 20, in John chapter 3, verse 19 and 20, the scripture says, and this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world among both Jew and Gentiles. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. There it is. I am the light of the world. Ye are the light of the world. Everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. Why do they hate the light? Neither cometh to the light. Why? Lest their deeds should be reproved. Sinners do not want to be corrected. They do not want to be told the truth about their condition between them and God. They have their religion. They have their ideas. They are very content with their life the way it is. When someone comes and challenges that, they don't like that. They don't want that. They want to find a way to cover up that life. But the Word of God takes away the cloak. And they stand, as it were, naked before God. This is what I am. In John chapter 8, in verse 44 and verse 45, in some ways the culmination chapter of what Jesus was teaching the Jews. He says in John 8, verse 44 and verse 45, Ye are of your father the devil. John 8, 44. The lust of your fathers you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth. There it is. Because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh, when he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, that which is coming out of himself. For he is a liar and the father of it. And, verse 45, because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. You believe the father of lies. You have followed his religion. But you have not believed me and will not follow the truth that I have set before you. John 8 verse 44 and verse 45. Paul teaches us the same thing in his epistles. 2 Timothy chapter 4. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 and verse 4. 2 Timothy 4, verse 3 and 4. For the time will come, Paul says, when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lusts, you compare that with John 8. In verse 44 and verse 45. After their own lusts, Shall, heap, shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears? Verse 4, And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned on to fables, religious stories that are not founded in the Word of God. The truth of the Word of God not only reveals man's sin, but it also leaves man without the means of covering that sin. They no longer have a cloak for their sin. It is because a man wants to cover his sin 
that he stays away from the Word of God. Once he is faced with the Word of God, he can no longer cover his sin. Now something's got to happen. He either has to admit that what God says is true and repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ so that that sin is removed. Or he is enraged and closes his eyes and ears and flees from it. Those only two things can happen. The only two things can happen. And as he flees, he flees because he does not like his sin revealed. In verse 23, we also see that the word not only world not only hates the Lord Jesus Christ, but they hate his father also. Verse 23, he that hateth me hateth my father also. Many will say that they love their God and that they express their love for their God through their religion. But the God they say they love is not the God of the Scriptures. Jesus Christ is explaining that to His disciples. And because He is explaining that to them, they know that the religious world will hate them. They hate Him because His works reveal two different things about them. His works reveal the futility of their religious efforts. The efforts of their man-made religion. Jesus Christ, the greatest work that he does is to save a sinner from their sins. And that work in saving a sinner from his sin is, not, is something that a, that a religion cannot accomplish. It is nothing... That, that is something that a sinner cannot accomplish. But it must be God that saves a sinner. And when a sinner comes to the Christ and he says, save me, it is not because he's saying, look what I did to save myself. It is because he is saying and knows, I can't save myself, but you can. And religion looks at that and hears that message and oh, you mean to tell me that my baptism, that my good works, that my, that my church membership, that my giving, that my being good to my neighbor, you mean to tell me that none of that matters in the eyes of God? None of it matters in regard to salvation in the eyes of God. No, it cannot be true. God cannot take away from me my religion. You better hope he does. You better hope he does. As long as you hold on to that religion, you will not come to Christ. A sinner who comes to Christ comes alone with nothing in his hands. Nothing in my hands I bring simply to thy cross I cling. Isaiah warns about those that hold a lie in their right hand as they come to God. No. Holding on to nothing. Lord, have mercy upon me, I'm a sinner. But they can't abide that. It means the renunciation of all of that which their religion has told them is true. It means they must walk away from the man-made religion and its error. And they cannot abide that. And so our work. Our Lord's works reveal the futility of the religious works of man-made religion. But our Lord's works also reveal something else. The truth concerning that 
who he is and who his father is. I am God. I am the God of salvation. I am the God who has created you. I am the God who sustains you. I am the God that the only one who can save you. I am the God that secures you. I am the God that will bring you from time into eternity. I'm God. And so he closes the next verse by saying, They hated me without a cause. They hated me without a cause. Who can find a cause to hate the Lord Jesus Christ? Who can find some cause in Him or in God the Father? Who can find some reason in God to hate Him? There is no, there is nothing in Him that should be hated. He is impeccably, perfectly holy, impeccably, perfectly gracious, impeccably, perfectly merciful, impeccably, perfectly loving. The Almighty is the only one able to save sinners. Why would you hate Him? If you saw yourself the way He saw you, you would not hate Him. You would run to Him. You would come and embrace Him as your Savior. And then he comes to this next two verses. But they hated, they hated me without a cause. They will hate you. And here are all the reasons why. But when the Comforter has come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, I'm in verse 26, even the Spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. Praise the Lord. What a bleak picture in some ways is painted by our Lord Jesus Christ after exhorting his disciples that I have chosen you and ordained that you should go and bring forth fruit. After telling them love one another because you're going into a world that's going to hate you. And here's the reason why they hate you. Because you're joined with me and you're linked with me in my message. And because they hated me they're going to hate you after telling them all that. That's kind of a dark thing don't you think? That's not a message that sort of thrills the heart, is it? But he doesn't leave them there. After saying all those words, he says, But when the Spirit comes, he will testify of me. In, verse, in chapter 16 and verse 14, he's going to say again, He shall glorify me. Our Lord has been teaching his disciples and encouraging them that Despite the hatred of the world, despite the way the world hates him, and despite the world they hate his message, and despite the fact they hate his people, we are guaranteed to be fruitful, that we may be assured that his purposes will be accomplished in the world. We have been given that assurance. Now he adds one more layer of assurance to all he has said up to this point. He repeats that it is his purpose, as well as the purpose of his Father, to send the Holy Spirit so that he may be with us and in us. In us. We who have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior have been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. He has been given to us to be with us. 
to protect us, to teach us, to comfort us. He has been given to us to lead us into the will of God. He will be an advocate for us against the world. I don't know if you know this truth or not, but let me just, I'm not going to open it up fully, but let me just say something here. When you go to the world that hates you, God testifies of you and your message to the world. God testifies to the world. This is my son. This is my daughter. This is my church. An advocate to testify to the world that we are of God and that our message is of God. And he will empower us to accomplish that for which we have been called. The last statement is especially important in that verse. He shall testify of me. We, like the apostles before us, are promised that the Spirit will be upon us to empower us to accomplish the spread of the gospel. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, our Lord, speaking to His church, says, But you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me. In addition, the reason for the success of the gospel ministry in a world that hates everything about Christianity may be found in the fact that the Holy Spirit testifies of the Lord Jesus Christ in and through us. The Holy Spirit working in us, the Holy Spirit working through us, testifying of the Lord Jesus Christ and of the gospel message is the reason why we will have fruit. Now there are two facts, that, the two truths that I want you to garner this morning about the Holy Spirit. First, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, God, the Spirit of God, is sovereign. John 3 and verse 8, The wind bloweth where it listeth, thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst tell from which it cometh or whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. He is sovereign. He goes where He wills. He does what He wills. He accomplishes the will and purposes of, of God that has been established from before the foundation of the world. God, the Spirit of God, quickens those who are dead in sins and brings them to life in Jesus Christ. But the second truth about the Holy Spirit is He uses means to do that. There is a teaching among those who are sovereign grace that says that the Holy Spirit is sovereign and absolutely sovereign and does not need the human instrumentality or the Word of God. You know there's a truth in that? And I say that is true, but He chooses to use the Word of God and human instrumentality. And they say, no, 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 no. That destroys the absolute sovereignty of God in the salvation of sinners. No, it does not. It does not. I don't have time to flesh this out this morning, but I will later if we need to. The Holy Spirit uses two instruments in the salvation of sinners, usually. First, He uses the Word of God. James chapter 1, verse 18. Of His own will. What is that? 
that is sovereign will of God, of his own will, begat he us with the word of truth. With the Greek word, with the instrumentality of the word of truth. Peter says the same thing. James says it and Peter says it. First Peter chapter 1, verse 23 and 25. Peter says, being born again. That's a sovereign act of God's Spirit. Being born again. Not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by. Same Greek word as the word with in James. By. Through the means of the instrumentality of the Word of God. Verse 25. 1 Peter 1, 25. And this is the word by which the gospel is preached unto you. Do you realize if you're preaching a message that's not founded in the Word of God, you're not preaching the gospel? God uses the Word of God to save sinners. Secondly, He uses His servants. Listen to the words in 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 5. Here's the Apostle Paul giving testimony of the work of God in Thessalonica when he came there to preach the gospel. 1 Thessalonians 1, 5. For our great gospel came not to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost. When I came to preach to you, I didn't come just with my word or even with just the word of God. But I came in the power and demonstration of the Spirit of God. When God saves a sinner, that is a demonstration of God's power. Not the preacher's power, but of God's power. Second text I want you to see, 1 Peter 1 and verse 12, where Paul Peter now says, Which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. How often I have prayed, God, don't let me stand in this pulpit alone. But let me preach with the Holy Spirit sent down from heaven. Because unless God does something, everything is useless. Peter speaks of those who preach the gospel with the Holy Spirit sent down from heaven. We may be hindered. We shall be hindered in preaching the gospel, in representing Christ on the earth. Sometimes we may be stopped completely. How many of the Lord's servants were killed Stephen, by Acts chapter 7, is stoned to death. Hindered, sometimes even stopped by the world in which we live. But God cannot be stopped. My days will soon be over. However many I have left, they're going to be soon. Maybe I have 10 years, maybe I have 20, maybe I have a day, a month. I don't know. You don't either. But all I know is my days will come to an end. Yours will too. But God can't be stopped, brother. 
My days of preaching the gospel in India, my days of preaching the gospel in India, ended in March of 2015. When I got notice from the Indian government that he would not allow me to go back in. But the gospel has continued to be carried on in India. God is still doing his work. The Holy Spirit is still testifying of Jesus Christ in this world. What does the scripture say? Look in Acts chapter 8 verse 1. Look at the persecution that came onto the first church, the church at Jerusalem. Acts 8 verse 1 says, And Saul was consenting unto his death. Speaking of, of Stephen in, ver, in chapter 7. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church. That's the local church at Jerusalem. The church which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad because of the persecution. They fled for their lives. Now read verse 4. Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. <laughs> I am certain that the, those persecuting the local church at Jerusalem did not have that in mind. I am certain that the evil one did not have that in mind. That when persecution comes and the church is dispersed and spread. They didn't expect him to carry the gospel. The very thing that brought persecution upon them in Jerusalem. They carried with them. They may not have been able to carry their houses. They may not have been able to carry their money out of their bank. They may not have been able to carry their goods, their furniture, and their clothing. They may have fled in the night, fearing for their lives with what they had on their back. But they had something that they carried with them. They carried the gospel wherever it was they went. That's what persecution does to the people of God. That's how God uses persecution in our life. Always remember this basic truth that comes out of the book of Genesis in the life of Joseph. Genesis 50 verse 20. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Don't ever forget that, brethren. Don't ever forget Whatever is going on in your life, whatever is going on in my life, whatever is going on in this church, whatever happens in the world we live in, in the country that we live in, whatever happens, they mean it for evil. But God turns it to good. Don't forget those things. Remember what I said during the Bible study. We focused upon a king that sits on a throne that rules this earth and will accomplish his will in his kingdom on this earth. And the kings and the princes of the world may rage and the saints of God may suffer. But God always turns it to good. And let's close with this last verse. Verse 27. And ye also shall bear witness. John 15, 27. He shall testify of me when I send the Holy Spirit. He shall testify of me. And you also shall bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. Speaking specifically to the apostles, by extension, you shall bear witness of me to his church as has already been said, not only will the Holy Spirit bear witness 
as to the Lord Jesus Christ, but his disciples will also do so. And by extension, we do so today. They will bear witness of him because they have had a first-hand, been a first-hand witness of him. They heard first-hand his message. They saw first-hand his ministry. And they knew what it was that he had done, what he had said, and they would go and they would carry on the same message. And then they would impart that to others. First one church, and then another, and then another, and then another. And then train men, and then another would be trained, and another. Until we come down to this generation. And we too bear witness of Christ because we have seen something. We have seen something in our own lives. We have seen something in the Word of God. And though that we did not walk with them on the dusty streets of Jerusalem, nor go with the apostles as they spread into the world, yet we have the record of it in our hand this morning. And we have the testimony of it in our heart if we are Christians. God has done something for us. The same thing that he did for Peter and John and James in the first century. The same thing that he did for Adam and Abel and Abraham and David and Isaiah and Jeremiah. That same work in the heart God did. And we are witnesses of his mercy. And we are witnesses of his grace in saving us. And we are witnesses of the power of God to forgive a sinner of their sins. And we are witnesses of the sustaining power of God to keep us from the first day we became a Christian until today. We can testify of that. We can look back on years and say, look what God has done. And we can testify of that and go to the scriptures and show with our testimony that the word of God confirms this very thing. And we are witnesses of God to Ability to change our heart and cause us to come into a position where we are accepted into the very throne room of heaven. Where God himself says, come my child, what is it? What is it that you have need of today? Now we are not perfect witnesses, neither were the apostles. But we are witnesses. And we know what God has done in us if we're Christians. And what God has done for us. And because we know what God has done in us and for us, then we can testify to that fact. The Holy Spirit sent to testify of Jesus Christ. And you also shall bear witness of me. As God uses each one of us in his own way, for his own purposes, according to the different grace and gifts that God gives us, we testify of this. This is what God has done for me. This is what God has done for me. And if you're here this morning without Christ, you can't testify of that. You can quote a few verses, but you can't say, this is what God has done for me. And so the great question I always ask people is, what has God done? Tell me how God saved you. 
Tell me if you're saved. Yes, I am. I got baptized when I was 13. No, you're not. That is not the testimony of scriptures. Yes, I am a Christian. I, I was baptized as an infant. I've been faithful in my religion all these days. I know that I'm a Christian. No, no, no. That is not the testimony of scriptures. Tell me what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. Tell me how the Lord has forgiven you. Because he's the only one who can do it. Come sinner, come to him. How many times have I said, it's not the baptism. Don't come to the preacher, come to the Lord Jesus Christ. In the heart of hearts, you can, right where you're sitting, Lord have mercy upon me, I'm a sinner. God does not cast any out that come to him. Let's pray together.